0: I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking with Amy Smith of The Joy Junkie. Amy is a podcaster and coach helping people to overcome people-pleasing, perfectionism, and guilt-ridden motivation. She's also an Enneagram 4. Amy, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so excited to hang out. Me too. So you may not know this, but you might. We start every episode with what I call a rosebud and thorn, which is something that's good for you right now, something you're looking forward to, and something that kind of stinks.
1: Sure. So my Rose is my little pup. Uh, I have two Japanese chin dogs uh, that we affectionately call our double chin. Uh, so one of them, the newest addition, her name is Delilah Quinn. She's turning one tomorrow and uh, we're both Taurus. <laughs> so it's it's just one of those things that has been such a light in 2020 and now into 2021. So, I'm just incredibly grateful for her and she brings so much sass to to our household. And let's see. The bud is I'm I'm really looking at expanding speaking and getting back to stages as we as things start to open up mm-hmm. a little bit more and looking at Taking that piece of the work that I do and really amping it up. So I'm super pumped about that. And the thorn, I'd say, is is a close is a close connection to the bud, and that is. The reason, or the sort of the impetus behind me wanting to pursue speaking stuff a little bit more, is because some of the things in my business that always worked and that were kind of a well-oiled machine are just not working anymore, and so there's some grief around that. And yeah. um, you know, at being a four and being so emo, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is the <laughs> depths of despair. So having having to watch my my tendency to to wallow and embrace that there's some really cool, new, exciting things on the horizon.
0: You know, Amy, I have had so many fellow coaches and people who do like online work who have said the same thing where like the internet's just a different place right now. And so the work that we're doing and kind of how we do it is shifting. And it's weird. It's like, I've talked to at least seven other people who felt this way. Oh, well, that makes me feel so
1: much better. <laughs> yeah,
0: I we're like we're all kind of feeling it. Yes, yes. Because it's
1: so easy to
0: compare and you
1: see the the highlight reel of everyone mm-hmm. else and you think, oh gosh, everybody else is figuring it out, but maybe I'm not. And mm-hmm. as as confident and as self-loving as I am, my big trigger is in the area of my business. So I have to kind of keep tabs on that so that I don't. Go down a spiral.
0: i I actually love that you say that because we've been talking about, like as this podcast comes out, we're talking about the levels of health. And we talk about how like our type can, and when we say levels of health, it's not like, I' am like so healthy and like expanded, but it's more <laughs> so like, am I in presence or am I away from presence? And different things can trigger that. And I think with the Enneagram, it can be circumstantial, right? Like I have like a really happy relationship to work and my type, I'm very present in my work life and relationships can be super triggering for me. Um, and so it's interesting to think about how our type kind of can show up a little bit in in different areas.
1: It's it's really curious. Uh, I I know that you're a huge advocate for Integrative Nine and I was mm-hmm. able to, get sort of my diagnosis from them. And it, when when I was looking at sort of my overall strain level, I felt this was so applicable because my vocational strain is is really low, but the psychological strain is at a medium. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing that it's not necessarily that that there's a bunch of shit that's wrong in my business, or that it's floundering. It's what I make up about it. It's mm-hmm. the psychological piece of comparison to others, or uh, getting in my own way, or fear of taking leaps. You know, wanting to be super calculated, mm-hmm. and so it's curious how that that really is quite accurate.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's it, isn't it? It's like what we tell ourselves about what we're supposed to be doing or like how the world is that like actually maybe isn't the whole story. But like for some reason, we've all picked like these nine weird ways, like these very specific ways that we've been like, no, this is the story I'm going to keep telling myself about what I have to be or, or how things are. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, I think something that's really important to underline about that is we don't do that. We don't deliberately choose things like people pleasing or a tight grip on perfectionism, like a one, or we don't choose those behavioral patterns for the fuck of it. We (laughs) choose them because they are a way in which we can stay safe. And, And we, we need that, right? So perhaps you grew up in a situation where if you did not go along to get along, then that might may have very realistically meant abuse. So mm-hmm. learning how to cower, learning how to shape shift, learning how to put up walls or facades or guard your emotions may have been exactly what you needed to survive a situation. So I think sometimes the areas that we have of struggle, we have to recognize perhaps I adopted that behavioral pattern to stay safe. And now that it's no longer serving me and I recognize that I'm not in impending danger, I can start to make a different decision.
0: Mm -hmm. That reminds me of something I read on your website about how you were like, I was just done with like guilt ridden motivation, like trying to like. Guilt yourself into doing the things you wanted to do. Um, I'm I may have butchered the language there, but yeah, like that energy of we do like blame ourselves so much. Like that releasing of like, whoa, I did this to protect myself. I don't have to do that anymore. Can be applied to so many different areas, including how we motivate ourselves. That's right. That's right.
1: So you know, for myself, I grew up. I grew up in a very, very conservative, born-again evangelical family, and my father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry, so he was definitely not fucking around (laughs) and was very serious about it. And so what came along with that was a lot of motivation through guilt and fear and also shame. So a lot of the work that I do in this world is around a core belief system of believing that you are enough, believing that you are worthy, that you are valuable. And if you don't believe that, it typically comes with the emotion of shame. And shame is the feeling of I'm innately wrong for who I am. Mm -hmm. And for for many people who grew up in very dogmatic religion and I know you've had like some mm-hmm. cult survivors and stuff on the show you wrestle with this notion of being enough being valuable and working through that shame can be incredibly challenging so it it kind of came to a head for me in 07 and uh for for a bit of context my two younger siblings Always got in trouble with the law. Did had done some jail time. Had gotten into drugs. uh, Didn't care much for school. And I was the direct opposite. I had started working since I was fourteen. I had put myself through college. I got married young and moved out of the house and wasn't reliant on my on my parents in any way. And so, so keep that as a little bit of context as I tell you this story. So. Mm in 07, my father passed uh, passed away. And so the day of his service, I, at the time, had a background, well, I still do, a background in makeup artistry and knew how to perform mortuary makeup. So I Mm -hmm. felt very, you know where this is going, I felt very convicted that I was going to do my father's makeup for his funeral. Mm. Dead dad makeup. And because i i just felt like it would be such an asshole move to be like oh dad get your own makeup artist when i had a, <laughs> when i had a full skill set to do it although i know everybody would have been understanding so yeah. so i do that and i speak to a crowd of hundreds there for his service and not to mention dealing with a lot of the dogma that i had broken away from and mm-hmm. So it was quite the taxing day. And I'm feeling like I'm winning at daughter for sure. Mm-hmm. We get back home to my mom's house and she finds it the most opportune time to say, it feels as though your father and I have failed as parents because the three of you are not, quote, walking with the Lord. Mm. So it was like who I was, all of these elements that made me me mm-hmm. were irrelevant and did not matter unless I subscribed to the religion I was raised in. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could kind of muster in that moment was to tell her, mm, you probably shouldn't say that to a child.
0: <laughs> did you say
1: that? I did. That's I did. Amazing. I I kind of... I felt like, oh, maybe there's a teaching moment here for her. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and she said, well, that's just how I feel. Mm. And I realized in that moment, Sarah Jane, I really think that was the impetus behind a lot of the work that I do now. Because the realization that I had was, okay, I don't think it's always an ultimatum of either I make you happy or I make me happy. But sure as shit, if it does come down to that and I have to make that decision, I'm done choosing everybody else. I'm going to Mm -hmm. choose me. Mm -hmm. And that has really informed the work that I do now. And it's sort of this internal component of – Believing that your voice matters, believing in your own enoughness, your worthiness, and then the external component of how do we now then communicate that with the outside world? Mm -hmm. What does that look like to ask your adult children to move out of the house? What does that sound like? What does it sound like to be pregnant and tell a stranger, please don't touch my pregnant belly, you know, Mm -hmm. or... Uh, to sever a work relationship and not make up some excuse, like we don't have the language around communication like that. So although that was unbelievably mm. trying, it, it you know, you can look back and see, wow, our breakthroughs really do come from some of the the most taxing breakdowns.
0: Yeah, I mean, I it's amazing to me that you took this moment. And made it this beautiful thing that it, you know what I mean? I think that that's a, a hard thing to do. Yeah. You know, this shows so much resiliency. Yeah. This show is brought to you by our show's new sponsor, Better Help Online Therapy. We all need therapy. I know we talk about it all the time over here, the importance of doing the work taking care of ourselves, listening to our hearts and our bodies, and doing what we need to move forward in our lives in a healthy, happy way. And oftentimes the way that we do that is through therapy. And the really cool thing is that therapy actually works, right? There's sometimes also this misunderstanding about what therapy is. It can be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be sitting around talking about your feelings Or that's exactly what it can be. It's all up to you. For me, at times, therapy has been a place that I go with my partner to talk about things that we need to work on. Other times, it's, you know, me talking and just needing support. And different times, we are setting intentional goals or working through trauma. Therapy is so unique. And the thing that I have personally loved about BetterHelp is the opportunity to do it from anywhere. I don't know about you, but when you have a busy schedule, it can be really hard to keep your therapy appointments. And so having a therapist who you can call or text all online and not have to coordinate both of your busy schedules to be able to get the support that you need is incredible. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and any agreement coffee listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash egram. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash egram. Thank you, BetterHelp, for supporting the podcast. I was just going to say thank you. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. For those at home who are like – I don't know if I'm, I can be that resilient. I don't know if I can do this without feeling like a turd, <laughs> like I'm ruining <laughs> everyone else's lives. Like how do we choose ourselves? And I think your tagline is like, without feeling like a dick. Yes. Like how do we do both?
1: So I think one of the things that is disproportionate to women in particular, those who identify as women uh, and also, even greater for those who identify as any marginalized grouping of people or identity. So, you know, queer folks or um, persons of color, those with disabilities. If If you are in any of those identities, we're constantly told that we need to make other people Okay, we need to caretake for their emotions. We need to dim ourselves and twist and contort so that we hold that responsibility for everyone else's feelings and emotions. And that is a wild, outright lie. We cannot control how anybody else feels. Now, we're still very much responsible for our impact. We're responsible for who we are being, how we are showing up in this world. But if your motivation is from a place of, I want to show up in the most powerful way possible, I'm going to show up with grace, I'm going to show up with kindness, then you're good. Your side of the road is clean. We can't make sure that everybody else is is happy. So I think to answer your question, one of the things that we must start to work on is emotional intelligence and emotional resilience. And that's going to vary depending on your type of how comfortable that is. Obviously, as a four, I'm like, let's jump in. <laughs> um, but I think that's also something that's bred out of us, right? At the very... At, at, early, early age, we learned that being emotional is weak. And in order to be, to make it in a man's world, you have to be a bitch, you know, and you have to be domineering. And and I like to look at it as, no, you can be assertive and you can absolutely do that with the utmost grace and kindness. So I think learning to be uncomfortable when somebody's not happy with you, Without Mm -hmm. that gut urge to rectify it, I've got to make them like me again. I've got to make them, I've got to smooth it over. And what you're doing is you're taking all of the responsibility on your shoulders Mm -hmm. instead of recognizing, okay, what am I responsible for? What are they responsible for? And allowing yourself to sit in those uncomfortable, moments. Because so I do see a lot of people who will start to speak up for themselves or they will start to establish a boundary. And then the minute they get pushed back, they take it all back because mm-hmm. they can't be with that uncomfortable emotion. So part of it is learning to be okay and sinking into it and sitting with it when somebody else is not happy with you. And just like anything else that we do, the more, the more we allow that, the more comfortable we can become being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I also need to say that it was not overnight. This was many, many years in the making, a lot of missteps. I made so much mess. Um, Particularly with my mom, because I once that happened, sort of the floodgates opened, and I wanted to fight about everything, and I I became Mm -hmm. very combative and adversarial, and so everything that we talked about, I would get real heated and real upset, and it I realized that it was in my delivery. My delivery was what I need to needed to apologize Mm -hmm. for, not how I felt, not the content. So then I would circle back and say exactly that. Say to her, how I spoke to you was unacceptable and you do not deserve that. However, I do still feel very strongly about what I was saying, but I should not have communicated it to you in that way. And that's a very different way to make amends with someone.
0: Mm -hmm. When when you're in that moment and you're feeling, because I know just... I want to kind of Enneagram at it for a second and then ask the question, but um, it is kind of, we've talked before like about you being a one-to-one four and Mm -hmm. I know all of the one-to-one fours out there are listening and they're like, yes, this is real Um, Mm -hmm. because the pain there is like, I have suffered. You've caused suffering here and therefore I want you to know what that suffering feels like. Um, And so that can create the delivery mishap, right? Where it's like, it's not that there's like, intended harm, but it's like, you've hurt me. You should know what that, what that hurt feels like. Cause fours want to connect in that emotional place to where you're like, almost like let's connect heart to heart and like feel what we're each other are feeling. Um, and I, I don't want to speak for you on that, but, um, I, I feel like a lot of the sexual fours out there listening are probably curious, um, how do you feel like you still get like what's the fine tuning there between getting heard and softening that delivery
1: yes so that's a great question um, i think so there's a, there's some basic pieces of our humanity that we have to address here
0: mm-hmm. so
1: primitively when we feel threatened when we have our stress response we are going to have the instinct of fight flight Freeze or fawn. And fawn is a little bit of a a newer one on the scene, but that idea is that we would, if we were being attacked by, you know, a mountain lion or something like that, that we would be like, here, kitty, 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 where we would try to appease that uh, aggressor or attacker. Now, the modern iteration of that is people pleasing. It's that we feel attacked, we Don't feel good about whatever is happening. So maybe I can make everybody else feel okay. So I think recognizing that in the moment when we feel threatened and how we feel threatened is going to look a bevy of different ways. So if we feel that somebody doesn't approve of us or doesn't like what we have to offer and what we're putting out into the world, if we are broken up with, somebody breaks up with us or lets us down in some way. We will naturally go to one of those responses, and fight can be one of them, to be overtly combative. So I think recognizing, first of all, to give yourself immense compassion, that if you tend towards the fight response, Mm -hmm. know that about yourself, right? Know that your instinct is to protect yourself through aggression, but what we have to understand is oftentimes when somebody's breaking up with us when you know we didn't get the promotion that we wanted to get if somebody in our family doesn't approve of us we're not actually about to die so we don't need to be that aggressive and that combative and learning how to stop recognizing okay i feel incredibly rejected or uh, acknowledging the emotional framework of whatever it is that you're feeling, noticing and naming it, and then and then choosing to respond after that. Because what we don't realize is that we feel so justified and vindicated in in being aggressive, because we're like, you fucking deserve it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we feel like that's what's being called for based off of how emotionally upset we are and when we communicate that way we cannot be heard nobody on the receiving end says oh you know what that's a really good point <laughs> i'm going to change that right away oh i'm going to get i'm going to work on that i can't wait no nobody does that so what i think about a lot is am i communicating in a way where I can actually be heard, how would I respond to me? If I was on the receiving end of me, would I be listening? Would I be paying attention? Not if I'm like a bat out of hell, no. Mm -hmm. But if we use that emotional vulnerability, which is a fucking superpower, Mm -hmm. and we come to a conversation and say, hey, I really messed up or there's some stuff that's really been on my mind and I haven't shared it with you and that is completely my bad that I'm generating this resentment and you would have no idea you deserve for me to have for to know what's what's been going on and for that I just want to apologize hmm. and then genuinely ask for what you need what I would really love is for you to just hear me out as I share with you how I'm feeling But, um, so there's a couple of things in there, right? Recognizing your instinct is always to, when you feel threatened, I tend to go into fight mode. I think recognizing taking a step back out of there, right? Not immediately engaging. And, and then also I think it's, uh, really important to recognize that, um, The other person is going to be highly responsive to your energy. Like energy attracts like energy. We know that. So if you show up vulnerable, you're far more likely to elicit vulnerability from them. It's not guaranteed. But if you go into a conversation like, we need to talk, you are far more likely to elicit either equal combativeness or flee, right? Like, or they're just Mm going to leave. They don't, I'm out of here. So I think the again, just like everything with Enneagram it's the more that you understand about who you are and how you tend to communicate you can start working with that um so and and there's superpowers in all of that right like being highly emotional being having zero problems talking about emotion is a great way to lend yourself towards vulnerability, which tends to elicit that from from the other person
0: i love the way you said, like, am I going to be heard here? Yeah. Because I think even if you're, you're you know, you're, I'm a flight, hi, flight here. Mm-hmm. Um, If you're a freeze or you're a fawn, like any of those options or a fight, like none of them are going to get you heard truly. Right. They're going to get you through, but they're not going to make an impact. That's right. Mm. And it's it's also really important to
1: acknowledge how the other person communicates. You know, as we know, certain types can be highly, highly emotionally charged, but not demonstrative. They don't share it. Mm-hmm. And so, as somebody who is, it, it is clear when I'm overwhelmed, it because I will tell everyone, <laughs> I am so overwhelmed, and it will be gregarious and loud. So if I'm engaging with another person who does not show overwhelm the way I do, like my husband, for example, he'll, he'll say very calmly, I just have a lot of, a a lot of things going on. And, you know, I could not be more opposite. So because his, the way he's experiencing that emotion looks so different than mine. I have to be very astute at recognizing what's happening for him and not making up that he's feeling any less intensely than I am just because I'm comfortable telling everybody about it. (laughs) So, but I think to what you were speaking to earlier, that's exactly right. What we all want is to be seen and heard. That's the issue in our politics, right? It's we have this fear, we have this issue, and we just want people to hear us and to recognize us. But when we are speaking constantly from this place of vitriol or passive aggressiveness or these biting acerbic remarks, mm-hmm. we cannot be heard. We can't hear each other. In fact, we know that humans will not make change unless they feel understood. Mm-hmm. So if you are yelling and screaming at your partner or your kids and they feel so un- misunderstood or not um, seen, mm-hmm. they will not make genuine change. So keeping all of that stuff in mind, it's like, how can I show up in a way that is so much more likely to have a productive conversation? And the the other thing to mention too, and this could be a, a great challenge for everyone out there who tends to be a little bit more of the aggressor, and I know there's a handful of types that that are, mm-hmm. that are a little more demonstrative and here's how it's going to be. And it is to look at anger is a secondary emotion, meaning that it's sort of a, a cloak for a primary emotion underneath that. So when we are angry and it's manifesting in that way as being really biting or kind of attacking underneath all of that is a different primary emotion like shame, guilt, overwhelm, rage, feeling dismissed, feeling uh, sadness, any number of things uh, that we are feeling that we use sort of this uh armor of anger. So mm-hmm. if you If you tend towards that, you can kind of look at how you communicate, look at what's going on. Perfect example is a couple where someone in the household is not pulling their weight at all. And it's so easy to yell and scream about, oh, you didn't do the dishes or you never help out around here. That's the surface issue. That's what it's easy to to discuss. But the root issue, what's really under that anger is a feeling of disrespect or a lack of connection, there's some other deeper emotion that needs to be rectified, not just a a chores planner about who's going to do what in the house. It's about mm-hmm. what that
0: thing you're angry about actually means to you, what that says to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's almost like, what's the message this is sending me? Yes. And, mm, I know that there are people out there who are... Um, on this journey to overcoming people-pleasing. And I get this DM all the time and it's, but what if they don't like it? Like what if I set a boundary and they, people don't set, follow that boundary, but also if people just don't get it? Yeah. So this is again, where it comes back
1: to emotional acuity and Mm -hmm. intelligence. We're taught that if we get a negative re- emotion or reaction from somebody, we need to just do anything to make it okay. So part of the process of establishing a boundary or speaking up for yourself is re- is standing in that even though people don't like it. Now, what's important to understand about that is we are going to feel uncomfortable. We're going to feel saddened. So I'll give you an example in my own life. I cannot recall what I was even... Oh, I remember what it was. I was talking with my mom and she had once again invited me to church, even though I had explained to her so many times that I found that offensive. Mm -hmm. And she... Did it again because I I fully consider myself recovering from religious trauma, um, mm-hmm. and abuse, and so bringing that stuff up again, especially when I've multiple times with the utmost kindness said please do not feels like hi I don't care what you need I don't care what you want I'm going to push my agenda on you, mm-hmm. and so she so this is how the conversation went she had said asked me. And I said, you know, I have I have mentioned repeatedly that this is something that's really uncomfortable for me and very offensive. And I I don't share with you any theories about horoscopes or, you know, Wiccan or um, <laughs> summer solstice or I don't invite you to anything like that. Pagan stuff. Um because I respect that you find that offensive and I would really appreciate the same in return. And here's what I will promise to you. If I ever change my mind and I do want to come with you or I do change my perspective about about religion, uh, you will be the absolute first person that I tell. You will be the first person to know. Mm. So my request is that you let me say to you, I would like to come with you and that you refrain from inviting me going forward. And oh, Sarah Jane, let me tell you, she did <laughs> not like that. <laughs> and, and well, I don't approve. And I remember telling her after so many different conversations, and again, this was all surrounding my father's death. So now she had been Leaning on me for a lot of things as the as the eldest, you know mm-hmm. and so there was an additional pressure there, but i said i don't I don't actually need you to approve of it because I approve of it mm-hmm. and I'm gonna let that be yours mm-hmm. and now, does that mean I get off the phone and I feel fucking amazing? No, <laughs> you typically will have some combo of dichotomous emotion where you feel proud of yourself for speaking up and then you feel so, so sad or disappointed or frustrated because the other person is just not at the same place where you're at. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to start being comfortable. And and it's not not for the hell of it, right? Like Mm -hmm. we have all of these phrases, all of these idioms, sweep it under the rug. Don't rock the boat. Don't open up a can of worms. All of these ways, again, disproportionately to tell women, shut mm-hmm. the fuck up and make sure everybody else is happy. Mm. And that is that is not helping our self-worth. So when I'm telling you, we need to start speaking up. We need to start advocating for ourselves. I'm not saying that just for the sake of being uncomfortable or just for the sake of learning how to be in touch with our emotions. I'm saying that because every single time you put somebody else's wants, opinions, and needs above yourself, you are sending a subconscious message cementing in your mind that you don't matter as much as that other person. That's and then, it. and then what does that do? Then we choose partners who aren't able to be who we need. Then we stay in jobs far too long. Then we don't launch the business that we want. So it is imperative that you start learning to be uncomfortable with other people not liking you and residing in that place because your self worth quite literally depends
0: on it. Hmm. I don't know if I've ever nodded my head harder in my life. <laughs> I, I think I almost like banged it into the microphone. Um
1: <laughs> I get I get going, girl.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's good. I mean, like, that's it. Like people we're so like people are so afraid of being selfish because we've been mind washed, brainwashed, mindwashed, brainwashed, into thinking like, oh yeah, you shouldn't put your needs before your own. You should be consciously, you know, don't trust yourself, don't feel safe, don't feel comfortable putting relationships at risk, even if those relationships are hurtful to you because we like you small.
1: That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. And and if we look on a on a greater meta scale, it, I had I had this great fortune of taking a social justice class last summer by an incredible professor his name is uh, Dr T Williams and we learned a lot about liberation theory is v- very much from an academic perspective and talked a lot about systems of oppression whether that be male to female whether that be straight to gay whether that's white to black or other you know, Um, persons of color, whether that's uh, typically abled versus, you know, a person with a disability, no matter what we're talking about, the system of oppression stays in power if the oppressed party continues to believe that they are not enough. Mm -hmm. So I think about that all the time. And I think about how me loving myself, me believing that I am enough, me believing that I am worthy is a fierce act of resistance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, I can only speak to a lived experience as a cisgendered white woman, um, who, pansexual, but in a, in a heterosexual relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I have a lot of privilege there and I can only speak to that as, as a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think all the time, like, would a man second guess this? Mm -hmm. Would he, would he worry so much about saying what he needs, even in the way that I write emails? Um, because even, again, as a four, I want all the emojis, all the explana- explanation marks and, you know, all of that. But I have to recognize, like, okay, am I trying to appease even in the language I use in an email? And looking at, okay, these are the acts of defiance that will change the way women women are viewed in our society. So even mm-hmm. sort of from this altruistic, big meta view, it's imperative that we do this, you know, for ourselves and just for, for
0: women in general. Mm. I think that's, I think that's where we close. I mean, that is just it. Oh, Oh, do you have anything still lingering that you're like, I want to make sure this gets said um, before we move into rapid fire questions? No, I think I'm good. Okay, i I am so excited to get into rapid fire questions with you because, um, I know I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, are you ready? Okay. Um, this is the soundtrack to rapid fire questions. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the first book that comes to mind. Uh, you are your best thing.
1: Just recently released, edited by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown.
0: Oh, I've been – that's on my list.
1: It's incredible. It's a series of essays um, and obviously compiled by the two of them. And Mm -hmm. it's such a testament to uh, vulnerability and how vulnerability and connection and all of that is very different for different uh, types of identities. Mm. A favorite song? Uh, That I Would Be Good – by Alanis Morissette, and it—it it, it, in essence, it's about I'm enough. I'm enough, whether people like me. I'm enough, whether I gain weight. I'm enough if I can't ever create again. And uh, I just I find that to be such a testament to our own intrinsic value. Something
0: you wish people knew about you.
1: You know. I feel like everyone knows everything. <laughs> I'm such an open book about stuff. Um, you know, I, I guess one thing is people typically tend to assume that I'm extremely uh, adventurous and spontaneous, and I'm not. I'm incredibly calculated and risk averse, <laughs> and so I do wish sometimes that that people just because i love all the flowy outfits and the you know lilith fair style that mm-hmm. i i'm not i'm not very much a free spirit <laughs> i'm a very I calculated spirit
0: <laughs> um on your dream day what are you doing
1: oh so i wake up late Uh, with my, so my husband usually wakes up earlier than I, and then he brings my two dogs up to wake me up. And I love that. So that would be happening. I would have tea with honey. And then we would go for an amazing breakfast at one of our favorite spots out here in Charlotte. And then we would probably spend the day nesting, like looking for home goods, looking for plants. We have probably like 60 plants. We we need more plants like we need a bullet in the head, but <laughs> we love, love, love doing that. So we we would be definitely do that, maybe have some nice brunch because we'd be shopping all day and then come home and repot the plants, maybe make a nice drink and open up the doors to our our patio area and spend time cultivating our garden and our plants and drinking and and then probably come in and order food so you notice that all the food was <laughs> was prepared by somebody else uh then probably order food and watch watch this is us we're we're late to the game but yeah. we're working our way through this is us Oh I love that I would do that day with you too if you ever want. I just did this day for my birthday.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. That is a good
1: birthday. It was sublime. It was absolutely sublime.
0: Okay, your final meal, what are you eating?
1: Okay, so I moved to North Carolina uh, about three and a half years ago, and I have yet to find a garden burger. As incredible as th- this small little hole in the wall place in Orange County, California, called John's Place, and so much so, Sarah Jane, that I asked them for their recipe before I left, before I moved. I was like, "What is this sauce? Can I get this sauce?" And then, "What what patties are you using?" And they they really couldn't give me much information. I was so bummed. So it would definitely be that burger and fries with Mm -hmm. some ranch. Um, Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: And any, I like to ask for like a food for thought. So something that people Mm -hmm. can leave and just think about today. Yeah. So there's an incredible
1: quote from a woman named Irma Kurtz and it says, givers have to set limits because takers rarely do. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think, again, coming full circle to this notion of people-pleasing or um, standing in our own worth, that what we want, that what we desire, that what we feel matters just as much as anybody else and actually acting like it uh, is incredibly important because Even people who aren't intentionally taking or they're not deliberately malicious can still steal a lot of joy if you're not willing to advocate for yourself. So givers have
0: to set limits because takers rarely do. Oh, my gosh. You had that, like, ready. Like, you (laughs) – that's, like, in your soul.
1: It is. It is. I've I've used that quote a handful of times because – it is so it's so applicable to to what we go through all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amy, i i know there are people who are listening to this and they're like i need more of this person in my life. <laughs> um where if they're like i am your i am your person, you are here for me, i need you, where can, where should they go first? Yeah, so i my corner of the internet is
1: over at thejoyjunkie.com. And junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. And there is a myriad of freebies for you. I've been uh, doing my own podcast for a little over eight years now. So I have just this vast library where you can get tons of tips and ideas and, and I'm incredibly structured. So lots of very implementable things that you can do. And you'll see a free workbook over there you can get your hands on. I'm also a hypnotherapist, so there's a free hypnosis track specifically around anxiety and fear mm-hmm. and a free workshop, all sorts of good stuff. But the hub, every, everything that you need is over at thejoyjunkie.com. And I'm probably the most active on Insta as far as social media goes, and but pretty much everywhere you can find me under the handle at thejoyjunkie.
0: It was an absolute joy to have you today. Thank you for doing this and taking the time out to share with us. I am so deeply honored to be here
1: and I just adore you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.